So there are many applications that uh, we have pioneered at uh, Tech Mahindra using blockchain. Interestingly, the first application that we implemented was to solve one of the problems that impacts you and me on a daily basis, which is basically spam calls and spam text. We were one of the service providers who went and gave them a proposal saying that this problem can be potentially handled through blockchain. That was Rajesh Dundu, SVP and Global Business Head, Blockchain and Metaverse at Tech Mahindra. Rajesh is responsible for thought leadership in the areas of blockchain, Web 3.0, Metaverse, and other emerging technologies. He and his team help global CXOs in internalizing these technologies and making them relevant to address unsolved, under-addressed, and underserviced business needs. LeaderCast is a podcast series by ISB Executive Education. This podcast features prominent business executives who are redefining functions and industries and what it means to lead in an era of accelerated change. Through this podcast, you would gain deeper insights into leadership, business, technology, and more in order to stay ahead of competition. Hi Rajesh, it's good to have you here. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. We are going to talk about blockchain and uh, I want to first start off understanding, you know, what blockchain is. Thank you, Pravin. First of all, thanks for having me over. I'm uh, super excited to talk to you about blockchain. Very good question to start off with from the perspective of uh, building blocks as far as blockchain is concerned. So two fundamental things that are very important from a blockchain perspective. One is in terms of whatever you do on blockchain, the transactions, the activities, they get recorded on a distributed ledger. Unlike uh, the conventional thing that happens in the world today, where uh, people who are involved in the transactions, they're keeping a record of those transactions or activities in their own books. And then they present it when a milestone comes. And that milestone could be a payment or end of the month or end of a quarter or end of a half year or a year. So blockchain is all about recording the transactions in a single ledger, a distributed ledger, so that everybody who is impacted by that particular transaction has access to those transactions, number one. So it brings in the visibility. Number two is even before the transaction is recorded into the ledger, you take the consent of that particular person saying that, hey, this is the transaction that needs to be recorded. And do you agree? Because ultimately it's going to impact you. A good example is I'm a supplier and then um, I've supplied uh, material to a customer. And later when I present an invoice to the customer, it could be, it could happen in such a way that the customer may come back and say the order quantity is incorrect, the price is incorrect, or the payment terms are incorrect, because you have recorded it in your own understanding, and then you're presenting it to the customer. So here you're discovering everything after an event has happened. That's why it uh, leads to what we call as the reconciliations and disputes and settlements. Whereas in blockchain, the same event a priori, even before the event is uh, recorded in the books, in the distributed ledger, the other people who is impacted by the event are made aware and their consent is taken. So one, it's a distributed ledger. 
The second, it is consent. Because of these two factors, they say that blockchain brings in what we call as immutability. Interesting. So from what you have said, it looks like data is central to all of this. Right. And traditionally, data has been you know, generated, right. stored. Right. People understand databases. Right. And now we are talking blockchain. So is it uh, technology that is replacing how data is being handled? Or is it replacing databases? Is it a new kind of database? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of if you see the evolution of the data and the data sharing, uh, the first one was with respect to sending and receiving the messages. And the second one was with respect to sharing the databases. What blockchain is going to do is going to pick on uh, pick up from the point where it starts with sharing the databases and converting it into sharing the asset. That's where blockchain is, uh, you know, heralding the world into. And this entire activity began in the year 2008 when a person of fictitious name, Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, published a paper called Peer-to-Peer -Peer Electronic Cash System and then he proposed to the world that using this underlying technology, you can run the function of money without having, you know, a trusted party in between or without having the governments. That's when the entire thing on blockchain started. Right. So if again, if I have to pick an owner for the blockchain, right. how does that work? Yeah, good question. So in terms of the ownership actually depends on the kind of the blockchain it is. In blockchain, you have two different kinds of blockchain broadly. One is the public blockchain and another one is a private blockchain. The private blockchain is also known as the permission blockchain. Now, when it comes to public blockchains, a good example is Bitcoin, the first genesis, the commercial application of blockchain. And then you have Ethereum and various other public blockchains which are there. The ownership is resident with the community that is responsible for that blockchain. So there is either a foundation or a trust behind that particular blockchain. For example, uh, with regards to Bitcoin, it is bitcoin.org. With regards to Ethereum, it is the Ethereum Foundation. And they are called as the decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, which are responsible for the maintenance of those blockchains, which are responsible for protocol development which are also responsible for improvement proposals pertaining to that blockchain. That's so that is under one realm. Coming to the other realm, which is the private blockchain, the blockchain owner is actually the person who is setting up that particular network. So in the private blockchain, usually it's an entity, identified entity. It could be a public company, it could be a private company, or it could be any other organization that sets up the blockchain and then they decide who needs to participate in that particular blockchain. It, technically, it is called as a central authority. And the person who is setting up the network is the owner. The other people who are the participants in that network are the people who are joining the network. They could be customers, they could be suppliers, they could be partners, they could be government entities, or any other person who is participating in that particular private blockchain. When it comes to public blockchain, as I told you before, the decentralized autonomous organization owns it or the foundation owns it. Everybody who has a compute power can technically become a member of that 
blockchain network. If you contribute the compute power, you're participating in the network, you're validating the transactions, again, technically called as nodes, then you can become a part of that particular blockchain. So the ownership and the participation varies depending on whether it is a public blockchain or a private blockchain. Very interesting. Now, given that there are multiple nodes and then you can expand, I think it brings in a massive scale to it. What is the incentive for actually participating in the blockchain? Why would these stakeholders want to participate? So there are multiple reasons why people would participate in a blockchain. Uh, Again, it varies from uh, public blockchain to private blockchain. I'll first pick up the private blockchain. So private blockchain is primarily aimed at a particular business benefit. For example, I could be an ocean carrier. And uh, as an ocean carrier, I will onboard all the people who are involved in my ecosystem. It will be my customers. It will be my suppliers. It will be ports. It will be, you know, carry and forward agents. It will be third-party logistics providers, fourth-party logistics providers. And when we come together, we share a lot of information to consummate a business process. And the faster we share the information and the faster we can validate the information is correct, our business processes are going to be so much faster. So there is a lot of efficiency over there. There's a lot of productivity over there as a result of which everybody gains in that particular network. You're basically improving the productivity, reducing the cost of operation and getting to a business objective in the fastest possible way. That is from a private blockchain perspective. Now, public blockchain, many of the public blockchains, if you see, they've taken the form and shape of uh, payment systems. Uh, They could be used either for, uh, you know, using their native token for payment purposes, or you use their native token for money remittances, or you use their native token for finance applications, like they have decentralized finance application, peer-to-peer lending. And those are the applications of public blockchain networks and the underlying cryptocurrencies that work on those public blockchain networks. So the incentive for people to participate over there is they're coming up with a new form of system. They're also contributing their compute power. They're working as validators by contributing their compute power. And in the process of becoming a validator, they also get incentivized for the transaction which is technically again called as, uh, you know, it's called as uh, the mining fee or it is called as the gas in uh, some of the applications, the gas fees in some of the applications. So basically the role of those people who are participating in is to ensure that the network functions effectively and then they are basically uh, ensuring that there are no bad actors in the network and they're, uh, they're all working towards a common purpose of keeping all the transactions safe, whether it is payment-related transactions or non-payment-related transactions. And they get incentivized for that. And that is their incentive. I think it is looks like you know having a very solid blockchain technology in place is going to make things faster, better, cheaper, if you will, for various yeah. activities, functions that businesses have. It's been probably over a decade since the coin, the Bitcoin and blockchain terms came out, the awareness. How do you see the adoption? Who are the fast movers into this technology? 
people who are moving slower, what challenges are around the adoption? Sure. So in terms of the interesting is, uh, you know, how this technology has evolved over a period of time. As I told you before, uh, the genesis of this was Bitcoin, the first commercial application of blockchain, which was itself uh, introduced as an alternate payment system, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. So it's quite natural that uh, Bitcoin applications were primarily in the domain of payments and was also in the domain of uh, money remittances. Then came the next coin, which is Ethereum, which is also known as the Queen Bitcoin, they have pioneered the concept of what we call as the ethereal virtual ethereum virtual machine evm and that ethereum virtual machine uh, gave people an opportunity to come up with number of uh, applications again in the blockchain world they are called as decentralized applications dapps and those applications could be in, either in the area of trade finance it could be in the area of decentralized finance it could be in the area of uh, peer-to-peer lending, which is again decentralized finance, or it could be in the area of gaming. There are many, many applications that have come. And as this was happening, the concept of a private blockchain has come into existence, pretty much like you know the public cloud versus the private cloud. There are key set of benefits of a public cloud vis-a-vis private cloud and vice versa. In a similar fashion, many, the, many of these companies have come up with these private blockchains to drive business efficiencies. Those business efficiencies could be in international treasury operations, in mortgage area, in documents processing, in uh, supply chain management. Supply chain management has a lot of blockchain applications, primarily to facilitate uh, seamless exchange of information between multiple parties. The information doesn't flow the entire supply chain gets crippled because ultimately the information becomes a point for uh, goods to move from one uh, one point to another point, right? It becomes a trigger point for that. So we've seen many of those uh, applications and over a period of time, the industry has taken a divergent approach. So there are a set of cryptocurrency related applications in the public blockchain space. People are also looking at uh, blockchain to rewrite the cybersecurity practices because cybersecurity in the world today is all based on centralized technology, whereas blockchain is based on decentralized technology. So in a cyber, secu- in a cyber world, blockchain can actually remove the over-dependence on a single point of failure and bring in uh, multiple redundant points, even if one point fails, the other points pick up so that you know, uh, the cybersecurity aspects of an organization or an enterprise do not get compromised. So we've seen a lot of adoption over there. And interestingly, over uh, years, uh, blockchain has also evolved itself into a good uh, identity layer. Uh, For example, again, going back to identity and cybersecurity, uh, blockchain can facilitate what we call as passwordless authentication. They are called as zero knowledge proofs and using those zero knowledge proofs, you can get into authentication without sharing your passwords. So there is a new set of discipline and a new set of application which is coming in over there. Then also from a digital assets perspective, you would have heard of non-fungible tokens which have become a rage all over the world where people are now investing in collecting digital pieces of asset. They could be a piece of land in the virtual world or they could be their identity in the virtual world. It could be avatar or it could be a simple digital collectible 
So these are the things that uh, blockchain has spawned over the years. And it's really fascinating in terms of how this technology has evolved from a mere payment application to uh, applications in multiple areas. Very interesting. As a leader in blockchain and Tech Mahindra, which is probably adopting this technology, how do you see this going? How are you envisioning what applications are in the near future going to be impactful in terms of how it transforms the country, how, you know, it will bring in quality of businesses, life, and so on. Sure. So may, there are many applications uh, that uh, we have pioneered at uh, Tech Mahindra using blockchain. Interestingly, the first application that we implemented at uh, Tech Mahindra was to solve one of the problems that impacts you and me on a daily basis, which is basically spam calls and spam text. And uh, the Telecom Regulatory Authority of India called for, uh, you know, proposals to address this particular problem. And what they've realized that the fundamental issue in this problem is the telcos were not willing to share information with each other. As a result of which, uh, the problem of uh, spam calls and spam text couldn't be addressed. Because in somebody complained about a spam call or a spam text, the telco would say, we are just a terminating network and it has originated from not our telco network, but from a competitor telco network. And when you would want to go into that particular network, it's a complete opaque process. You wouldn't know in terms of who those are. Uh, so uh, the Telecom Regulatory Authority of India, uh, when it asked for proposals, we were one of the uh, service providers who went and gave them a proposal saying that this problem can be potentially handled through blockchain. And by bringing up a blockchain network between all the telco operators and also the participating digital marketeers. So what happens is the digital marketeer, identity of the digital marketeer by virtue of this blockchain network is not known only to the participating telco, but it is also known to the other telcos who are on the blockchain network, number one. And number two, information pertaining to the subscribers in terms of what kind of text messages that they have said yes to, what kind of marketing calls that they have said yes to. Earlier was resident only with one particular telco. Now it can be safely shared on a blockchain network so that the other telcos also became aware of that. They not only become aware of that, but they also ensure that they are digital marketeers confined to those uh, consent and the preference information the subscriber has uh, given. And this has uh, not only led to an exchange of information between various telcos, but it also helped them to identify quickly where the problem is now that information is being shared securely on a blockchain network and also put in aspects where the people who are registered with the telco do not engage in these kind of uh, practices and also identify the unregistered telemarketeers. We call them as the fly-by-night operators who set up SIM farms from one telco and when they are detected, they shut down that SIM farm, go to an another SIM farm to another telco and then indulge in the same practice, shut it down and then go to the other telco. Now that pattern gets shared by the telcos and they are able to bring down with a faster response time rather than it was before it was on a blockchain network. So these are some of the things that uh, we had uh, implemented. We also see a lot of 
usage of blockchain in supply chain finance. One good example is uh, I'm a supplier. I have supplied material to an organization, let's say ISB. ISB tells me that uh, I need to adhere to a 45-day or a 60-day credit period. Then my working capital is stuck uh, because you know ISB wouldn't pay me before 45 days or 60 days, depending upon the credit period and the terms. Now I have an option to go to the bank, present that invoice, and the bank will discount it because bank knows that there is no collection risk from ISP. That's the trade finance uh, functionality which is there today. But it kind of brings in fundamental problems. The fundamental problems are, how do you know that it's a genuine invoice? How do you know that uh, the material has been supplied and ISB has agreed to honor that particular invoice? So you have to figure out a method where the mm, participating organizations participating business people, small businesses, and also participating banks can exchange information so that uh, uh, duplicate invoices or invoices that have already been funded cannot be funded by an another bank. All of this stuff happens on a blockchain network. In fact, RBI has mandated that the trade receivables and discounting services platform, which is there, the threats platform needs to be blockchain enabled. I think that's interesting. Is there anything on the agriculture, education, you know, where blockchain can really come in and then change things, perhaps at a country scale? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of if you look at uh, from an education perspective, a lot of educational institutes would like to insulate their certificates on blockchain. You know, uh, barring uh, the long-term programs, there's a lot of short-term programs that are uh, that are being provided by the educational institutes. And there is a tendency in the job market for people to misrepresent. And when they misrepresent, it is not only the person whose image gets tarnished, but also the participating institute's image gets tarnished, right? So now the institutes are very, very particular, especially for the short-term certificate courses. How do you ensure that uh, there's no misrepresentation of the certificates and people who claim that they've done, for example, digital marketing at place A, quantum at place B, options and futures at place C, have actually done those. And the onus of that also lies on the institutes which are giving those certificates. So we, we see some educational institutes, not only in the world, but also in India, getting onto the blockchain bandwagon to ensure that those certificates are not misrepresented and uh, the fakesters in the job market can be identified very, very easily. That's on the education side. And then in the government side, we have also seen a lot of benefits administration for education to be completely insulated from uh, you know, scams and from misappropriation of funds, where blockchain has brought in a lot of transparency from a government to citizen services, especially in the area of uh, scholarships, again, which kind of ties into the education field, right? On agriculture, we are seeing, uh, you know, a lot of adoption of blockchain from a sustainable agricultural aspects. You know, for example, how do you know that uh, whatever you're buying is organic indeed? Uh, so to establish that it is organic indeed, you need to bring in transparency from what we call as the farm to the folk level. And that's where, again, blockchain is playing an important role. And in some places, I've also seen where the farmers get access to agricultural prices without those prices being manipulated or misrepresented. 
a fake news over there can uh, can cause a lot of damage to the farmers leading to wrong decisions and that's where blockchain plays an important role from insulating that information and ensuring that the farmers get uh, right access to the information at the right time so that they can make right decisions yeah i think again another use case that i've been hearing i don't know much about is the whole idea of citizen scorecards right and i mean that sounds scary because it seems like a lot of personal information might also be there right. one do you see that happening two how will people be okay with the privacy aspects yeah. how does that work on the blockchain so that's where it uh, as i said before the concept of zero knowledge proofs to ensure that people get access to the information only in a limited fashion which is good for a decision making from a decision making purposes but you actually want to identify everything from the source then you have an option to go and look up for that information so give a very little information facilitate authentication very good but you need to look into a lot more information from a overall validation perspective right from the right from the point number 1 to point number n uh, again it is it can be facilitated by blockchain that's where i see it more as an enabler rather than a deterrent because when you have these digital identities and self sovereign identities that are coming in all the information that is uh, private to you what we call as the personally identifiable information is cryptographically mapped to those uh, digital identities and uh, that information is not made available to anyone without an express consent of yours today that that feature is missing yeah that sounds great so you know picking up some use cases which are extremely compelling right if you have to bet on the most impactful ones what would those be so uh, from a uh, from a use case perspective uh, there are multitude of uh, use cases uh, if you ask my personal bets uh, in blockchain in terms of the various use cases i would definitely say healthcare number 1 uh, number 2 government to citizen services uh, number 3 in media and entertainment space in addition to the cyber security space uh, coming to healthcare uh, what has happened is you know after the pandemic there has been a lot of emphasis on the cold storage of the vaccines uh, before that uh, you know many vaccines did not even have serialization so the world health organization mandated that first you need to bring in serialization because if there's no serial number on a wheel how are you going to track that particular wheel to the last point from the source to the last point so it started with serialization and that serialization kind of enabled in terms of tracking of those vaccines now why this tracking is very important is from a, a few vantage points one is in terms of as you know the vaccine is not going to be effective especially the covid vaccine if it has not been stored in the ambient temperature and as a recipient of that vaccine it's your fundamental right to know what has happened to that vaccine wheel ever ever since it has been produced in a factory to the point it went to a distribution point to the point it came to a, a healthcare provider organization it could be a commercial hospital or it could be a government primary healthcare center so that's where the blockchain has been able to bring in this particular tracking in an immutable fashion 
so that people now can be very confident in terms of the vaccine that they are uh, that they are administering it on themselves actually has been stored in the ambient temperature number one number two there were also a few conflict of interest the conflict of interest was like uh, the government regulation in many countries mandated that uh, the vaccine manufacturer is also responsible for the ambient storage of uh, vaccine till the time the vaccine has reached the end point now from the time it leaves the manufacturer's facility to the point it reaches the end point the number of middlemen in between now the as a farmer supplier would i take responsibility of that when i know that there are number of middlemen in between and it is their suboptimal processes which have actually resulted in non storage of the vaccines in ambient temperature so it it required a lot of track and trace elements and the track and trace elements can happen without the information being misrepresented or manipulated that's where again blockchain played an important role and we see this happening it started with covid vaccines but i would imagine that a lot of this would uh, get on to uh, the healthcare area you know in some of the countries advanced countries like uh, uk i know for sure that uh, they are working on some of the practices where you can recycle unused medicines for example the medicine is funded by national health services and those medicines are lying unutilized in a particular person's home can we bring those medicines back and put them back in the supply chain uh, from a responsible behavior perspective so now how do you know that which medicine was used by whom uh, where was it stored can it be reput or can it be can it be deployed back into the ecosystem so that medicine can be used by some other person it brings on the total cost and also the burden on the government paying for all those medicines so there again blockchain plays an important uh, role um i think that's one very compelling use case i think it's super important because any miss representation of all of this information would lead to disasters so now one of the things that you said is there's a lot of this data the handoffs that happen and the data that is collected is there a auto validation that happens in the process or how do we discover if something really goes wrong in this particular case yeah uh, it, it all depends on the checks and balances that you put in the system as the goods or the materials move from one point to another point and also the associated data moves from one point to another point so it all depends on how do you collect those uh, information from the source and uh, all of it can be programmed in what we call as smart contracts that's in another vast area of importance in the blockchain space where the smart contracts depending upon the way they are programmed they are able to track this and if they find that something is wrong they are going to play an important role in auto detection yeah very interesting so the smart contracts are probably like contracts that we have now but then they are programmed exactly. digitally exactly and these are so the contracts programmed digitally to give you an example you could have a contract between uh, an importer and an exporter where you are uh, uh, where you are importing uh, let's say a container of fish and uh, the as part of the contract if the fish is not stored in the ambient temperature 
uh, you can auto decline the consignment without any questions asked, without doing any sampling test. And the smart contracts enable you to do that. Fantastic. I think this opens up a huge class of applications in the supply chain and very interesting. Now, moving on, I think you also said government to citizen. Right. How do you see that space? Government to citizen, there are many, you know, uh, many things that are opaque, whether it uh, comes to benefits administration, whether it comes to land title management, or whether it comes to vehicle life cycle management. We've seen applications by progressive governments within India, both at the central government as well as the state government, where people have implemented blockchain to ensure that uh, the titles pertaining to land ownership do not get misrepresented. If you look at the old method, it's a punch nama. Five people doing a signatory to a land title. Uh, and then if you have those uh, signatories in place, then it becomes a valid deed, right? So uh, how do you ensure that there is no misrepresentation and manipulation over there? And that's where the governments have implemented uh, blockchain. Of course, it, it means that all the land titles should be digitized. That's a prerequisite. And also the land is mapped uh, very carefully from a, you know, from a geomapping perspective. Assuming both the geomapping as well as the digitization of the titles are in place, then you can bring uh, land title administration on blockchain without any uh, scope for misrepresentation, manipulation or scam. We've seen that with regards to benefits administration as well to ensure that the intended benefits to go uh, reach the desired parties and they do not go to a person whose information has been misrepresented. So many governments are doing uh, benefits administration on uh, blockchain in India. Yeah, that sounds great. So looks like the short answer is no about blockchain Look at the problems around you, how they are done, reimagine how you can do them better. And I think there are so many possibilities that we look at. Absolutely. You know, I wouldn't say that uh, blockchain will save the world, uh, but it definitely has a potential to look at some of these teething problems which have been there for many, many years. And uh, we have kind of taken them as granted as a cost of doing business. It's time to revisit those problems and uh, re-question those uh, assumptions and presumptions so that we can look at an opportunity where you could apply this wonderful technology called blockchain and uh, look at addressing those problems. That's great. Thank you so much, Rajesh. I think this was, again, an exciting conversation. So I think this leaves us with a lot of thoughts in terms of what could be done in this area and how to deal with it. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure.